Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. We went into a fair bit of detail about rent to rent in my discussion with Kemi Egan last week and now we'll hone into a very specific niche strategy where rent to rent can be combined with one of the emerging property strategies of the moment, namely serviced accommodation. And I've labeled this as rent to SA to distinguish it a little bit, but it's a variation on a theme. My guest today is Rob Stewart, who is a successful property investor and businessman, as well as being an educator like myself. He has a strong reputation for systemizing a property business to achieve growth and scale. And as you'll hear, we'll share some of those tips in our discussion as well. Serviced accommodation or serviced apartments and rooms are an application of the second rent in the rent to rent strategy that can realize very attractive cash flow with little or even no finance required, which is why we're featuring it in this series on property finance on a standalone approach or as a standalone approach. As Rob explains, it's good to have strategies that address both wealth creation through asset accumulation and also income through high cash flowing strategies at the same time. So let's have a listen to our discussion with Rob now. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Well, I'm delighted to say that uh, on the Property Voice podcast today, we've got a good friend of mine, Rob Stewart, and um, he's doing an awful lot, which is making waves, I would say, in the property industry in a lot of different fronts. We talked to you about a lot of different things, Rob, actually, but uh, thanks very much for joining me today. You're here to talk specifically um, in my series regarding creative financing, and uh, I know you could talk about a lot of different things in that respect, but specifically about uh, rent-to-rent and service accommodation. But why don't you uh, why don't you say hello to listeners introduce yourselves that'd be great so hello everybody hello Richard thanks very much for inviting me to come to the property voice and hello everybody who's, li- who's listening it's an absolute pleasure to be on um, thank you for the introduction as well uh, as you say got quite a few models going on but if I can sort of summarize it in a nutshell after going through the I guess the standard building blocks of property starting with single lets then progressing to HMOs, houses of multiple occupation, and then onto larger larger developments. I really focused on systemizing our property property business, which has enabled us to kind of branch out and develop that sort of true multiple streams of property income. One of which is is the service apartment model, um, and as you said, I'm going to be talking to you today about the rent to rent side of it. Fantastic, yeah, brilliant. So, um, as I say, I could talk to you about many many different things, and, and you never know, we might do that again in the future. But um, in terms of rent to rent itself, I suppose we can break down rent to rent and service accommodation into two separate parts. But if we start with rent to rent, how would you define that in general terms, assuming a sort of a zero base understanding of the concept? You're right. There are, there are two separate strategies, really. Now, for me, rent to rent is where you would find a find a landlord and you would rent. And, and I'd also say lease as well. I know a lot of people don't talk about leasing. There's different ways we can take control of a landlord's existing property, but for, for today let's talk about rent it off him. And then 
effectively rent it to somebody else. Now, I know a lot of people, when you say rent to rent, immediately think uh, HMOs, housing multiple occupation, where you'd rent the property off the landlord and then uh, sub-rent to multiple tenants by the room. You know, you take a, take a three, four bed house and you can rent it out to five or, five or six tenants. So that's one end of the rent to rent, but really there's lots of different different sub-elements to the rent-to-rent market. You could do it with commercial property, for example. Uh, you could take a commercial unit and then you know, split it up into, into different areas and, and sublease those to different companies, or in this case, service departments. So what we're doing is we're taking, I would say, probably smaller accom- accommodation units, so one-bed flats, two-bed flats, maybe even some houses, and rather than renting out by the room, what we're we're then doing is renting it on a short-term basis to, I guess, one identifiable um, uh, group of people. Okay, so uh, drilling down into the service apartments or service accommodation type of, uh, of route, then, as you quite rightly say, so we, we're renting off somebody who owns that property, be it uh, you know a, a private owner or it could be a landlord, I expect, and then we're going to rent that accommodation out. Uh, let's talk about service apartments then. What what makes that distinct? Um, from HMOs and, and other kinds of subletting types of model? So I guess that the two main elements that, that differentiate is the serviced element. So what we're providing is, is a full walk-in, walk-in unit. So it's, uh, it's fully furnished, um, you know, there's, the kitchen's fully furnished, there's bed linen on, there's towels, almost like a hotel room, I guess, uh, but as a, as a whole apartment, um, and it's self-catering accommodation. So a lot of people know this concept from the holiday let. Uh, time model, although there's lots of different subsectors within service accommodation. So uh, we specialise in in city breaks. We're based in Chester in the north northwest of the UK, and also the blue collar contractor market. There's a lot of companies who have contractors who move around the country, work around the country, and they'll come up on a you know a Sunday night and they need somewhere from Sunday night to Friday morning, and then they'll go home for the weekend. But they're in on a on a, on a, on a short term let basis, so they don't come in under a an AST and a short, short hold tenancy, um, and we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a bit, but we source um, the, the people who take the units in very different ways to a normal residential AST. So those are the two main differentiators. We service the, the, the units, we clean them, have laundry, and also it's on a short-term basis rather than a, and by short-term I mean less than six months, because if it's above six months, then you're looking in the sort of AST uh, territory. Yeah, and I guess, um, would I also be right in saying that uh, from, uh, I'm probably getting a little bit deep too quickly here, but would, uh, you mentioned furnished holiday lets um, in your sort of description there. From a tax point of view, would they potentially be classified as furnished holiday lets? Uh, yes, well, they are actually, and we are getting quite deep into the details straight on, straight away, but when you start to look at things like VAT, for example, um, uh, it's going to have VAT implications, as you say, with, with tax, how you can then, uh, you know, run through uh, direct expenses of running it, furnishing allowances. Uh, I would say with all of this stuff, rather than going into too yeah. deep into the detail, what you need is a good accountant who understands understands the model and can really identify exactly what model you're operating within the service accommodation model, if you like. Okay, so let, let me sort of correct myself and come back up a bit before we get too much into the detail. So uh, in terms of a, a strategy for property investors then, would you say that right now it represents a, a, a you know, good opportunity uh, right at this moment and perhaps looking a little bit further down the horizon as well? So I would say from, from what I've seen, we've, we've got quite a lot of different property models going concurrently. 
I, I would say in terms of a cash flow strategy, this is the best that we've ever we've ever operated in terms of um, the cash flow per unit that we get out of a service department. Now, whenever I, I I talk and sort of work with work with clients talking about property, I always recommend having two strategies going concurrently. One being a wealth building strategy, i.e., physically buying assets that you can then rent out and get a return on, and the other is a cash flow. And the reason I like to have both of those is that the wealth building strategy is actually very capital hungry, and I'm I'm sure you'll you'll have experienced yourself, Richard, and many many uh, people who are listening today will know that going and buying property, you need a load of cash to do it. And then when you buy, you've got all your fees, and you're going to probably have to renovate it. And it, you know, when you look at your cash flow, it's quite a long cycle from putting money in to potentially getting money out if you do get any money out uh, at the other end. So yeah, I, I totally agree. I think from um, the dual strategy approach, wealth building, which as you say is capital intensive, yeah, we all know about that, and uh, a cash flow strategy, uh, which I guess you can take out and top up or even spend the cash along the way. So. Good, good, sensible advice, and uh, I can see that I can see the merit in having a service uh, apartments or service accommodation strategy running alongside maybe longer term um, asset building. The um, I guess I wanted to sort of pick your brains a little bit about the sort of potential benefits. And when I say benefits, there's a number of different parties or stakeholders that are involved, isn't there, with uh, this kind of rent to rent service accommodation model or service department model. So what would you say are the, the respective benefits for those particular stakeholders, Rob? I think this is this is the really cool bit about the model because everybody, we like to talk about win-win, don't we, in, in, in property and getting win-win deals. Yep. Um, and I really think with this model, we, we have got that genuine win-win-win with, the, with the, three, the three parties. So for the property owner, what they, are, what they are achieving is a guaranteed income for themselves. They know what they're getting month in, month out. They're not going to have to worry about voids. We cover a certain amount of maintenance up to a certain certain level, sort of 100, 150 pounds. We'll cover that ourselves, um, and uh, they know they've got that guaranteed guaranteed income. For the guests, and I'll, I'll talk about the guests before we get to uh, get to what it, what's in it for the investor. What we're actually providing is a really high quality product, a really high quality place for them to to live, actually at a price that that probably rivals most of the local hotels. Again, depending what the model you're you're operating, we've got uh, we've got a unit, for example, that will be cheaper than the local uh, local premier um, premier inn or travel lodge, but it's a it's a fully you know fully kitted out flats, kitchen, self catering facilities, very comfortable place for for contractors to to live. Then in Chester, again, we've got uh, some very high quality units which are on the same road as um, uh, anybody knows Chester. They know the Grosvenor Hotel is about five hundred pound a night. Well, for the same sort of quality, you can get a two-bed service apartment through us for 100 to 150 pounds per night, which you can get four people in. So, as a as a as a guest, you're getting hugely um, uh, hugely high quality stuff for 40, 50, 60 pounds per night per person, uh, depending on how many there are in the group, which is excellent. So, so we really got we're really serving the needs of both the property owner and the guest. And of course, as the investor, what we're doing is we are we're tying that together. And our margin is really made from from creating this synergy, creating this joint venture. And I think with, with when you're generating no money down strategies, creative finance strategies, almost as the investor, you're acting as a joint venture broker. You're putting you're putting parties together and you're solving a problem. And by by solving that that problem, you are able to take take your your margin. Um, now, one of the great things about rent to rent service departments over rent to rent HMOs is it's a much cleaner um, a much cleaner model, and I, I say that 
I, I don't particularly operate in the rent-to-rent -rent HMO uh, market. Um, I do actually rent-to-rent some of my own HMOs um, for, for ease, because as a landlord it, it, it suits my purposes. But a couple of things with the with the HMO model is is the exit at the end. So if you've got um, you know a, a house full of five tenants and you've got to give them all notice under Section 21, um, you have to manage that uh, that process quite carefully. Um, and you've also obviously got the issue of framing it to the landlord in the first place. It's going to be subletting rooms on an individual basis. So with the service department model, it's much cleaner. You only have short-term tenants. Um, and we've definitely found that it's an easier sell to the landlord or to the, to the investor who owns it. It's an easier sell to frame it to them um, to, to allow us to take control of it. Gotcha. And so um, that, you know, I think it's, is it the sort of next wave? Because you talked about HMOs there and a lot of people are talking about high cash flow strategies with HMO. But would you say service accommodation, service apartments is the next wave of that type of uh, model? Yeah, without a doubt. And I think... As with, with with any strategy, with any model, there's going to be a natural evolution of it. In that, uh, it, it will start. Somebody will think of this idea, or reinvent it, repackage it. So you know, rent to rent is probably nothing new. It's been going on in commercial property for many decades. Um, and then you'll get the earlier doctors. They'll they'll get in very early and uh, and have huge you know huge returns from it. And then it will become more mainstream. Then eventually, a market will become more saturated, or the, you know, competition drives the price down and. Uh, and the margins and the returns decline. I think that's natural in, in any market, not just property, but, but any business, really. So certainly in our areas, and again, every area is going to be different, we probably hit um, saturation in the HMO market uh, a couple of years ago, really, and we, we almost saw it drop off a cliff overnight. And that's one of the reasons we started looking for other cash-flowing strategies. Now, I would say we're still at a, that early adopter uh, level for serviced accommodation, and as our as our nation, as our as our culture becomes more transitory, and I think you know information revolution, more people um, uh, can you know operate with a laptop and a phone from anywhere, and therefore people are kind of working in a more transitory capacity rather than just sitting in an office nine to five. Um, that that is actually really helping fuel the fire of the serviced accommodation model. So we've kind of got two things: we're still in early adopter phase, and we've got this change in in how we work as a as a as a culture and a nation. And that's giving that great opportunity to get in at this point in time. Excellent. And talking about getting in at this point in time, I guess we have to try and find some of these properties, don't we? We're talking about rent to rent here. So it's not a case of going to buy a property and turning it into a service department. The whole idea of it being creative financing is we're leveraging uh, an asset that somebody else owns. So how do we find them, Rob? <laughs> cool. So that, do you know what? This is the question. <laughs> we always get asked for every strategy. Um, and... There's actually a really simple answer to this, which, which hopefully is good for people, um, in that any time you're trying to find property for any strategy, there's only, there's only three things you need to know. You need to know the circumstances of the vendor or the landlord. You need to make sure the timing of the, uh, of the deal is right for all parties, and you need some leverage to go in with. So whatever we're doing in property, we look for those three things in every deal. Now, let's say we're looking for service departments and we're on the rent-to-rent -rent strategy. The really, the real easy, quick wins here are to find units that are sticking on the rental market, uh, and work out why they're sticking on the rental market, and then offer a solution to the landlord that, that fits that. So, you know, if you're if you're looking in a in a rental market that's really buoyant and properties are coming on and renting out in in a couple of days, and there's not a lot of stock on, then it's probably going to be more difficult to uh, to find um, a landlord who's going to have the the motivation to to take your deal. Whereas if you look at different sectors, I'm, I'm going to use 
I don't want to, well, I will give away all of our secrets actually, um, that's, that's our gift to you. The, what we look at in Chester is we look at uh, larger units, so we look for flats which are uh, two or more bedrooms, so three seems to be a bit of a sweet, a sweet spot with no parking and no garden. So if you're in a city centre environment, you've got a big flat which, you know, three plus rooms, uh, bedrooms, it's going to probably appeal generally to a family market. However, no parking, no garden, that's going to put a family market off. So with those set of circumstances, you'll identify there's an opportunity there, especially if a property's been on the rental market for a bit. And we have a couple that were sitting on the rental market for, I think one of them for at least three months and one of them had been on for six months. When we picked them up and the landlord had had, you know, a couple of couple of bits of interest but nothing much and he put, I don't know, I think he put a company in for a week or something like that and they'd left. Um, so there's huge motivation mm. uh, there for him to take it. So when we come along and offer him a guaranteed rent for three years, he, they jump at it uh, and for a good price as well. So that's, that's a really good thing to identify your niche, identify your market and see what's sticking and go for that. Sounds good. Very good, actually. But we've got a few notes out of that. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> so uh, that's a purpose, really. And um, I guess just more generally, then, just to get back to sort of uh, headlines, generic sort of principles. What what kind of general tips and pointers have you got for people who may be starting out, uh, whether they're starting out in property generally or particularly with this type of model? This is probably going to sound slightly cliche, but I'd always say uh, the place to start is work out what you're trying to achieve, mm -hmm. and then work out a, a roadmap to to get there. So I'll go into specifics of the service departments, but I just want to start with this, this sort of overarching you know, point that a lot of people think they go into property or into anything for a reason, uh, but don't really have that strong enough reason. It kind of sounds like a good thing to do, but what you need to do is define exactly what, uh, what you're doing, what you're trying to achieve out of it, and a roadmap and sort of goals and steps to, to do it. And then really when you've, when you've outlined that roadmap and you've got your, your stepping stones, you then just do... Uh, everything you can to hit those milestones that you've set yourself. So I know a lot of people will do um, that. They'll come into the market and they'll view three or four properties and they, they won't get a you know they put a few offers in and they won't get accepted. Kind of lose heart and give up at that point. Uh, whereas if you know where you're going and you know what you're trying to do, um, then it's much easier to push through the hard times uh, and eventually you will get um, you, you will get those deals. Uh, and I can assure you that out of experience with a lot of the people we work with, sometimes it might take a week, sometimes it might take six months. Uh, but everything is putting to you towards that, that certain, certain goal and direction. Now, with the service departments, I would say this is a great model because anybody can, can really start, you know, start today with this model. Um, the biggest thing is identifying them, but I would say have self-belief in yourself. So when you identify a suitable property, you speak to the agent or the landlord. We do both. We have relationships with the letting agents, and we also go direct to landlords. Um, you need to have that self-confidence in the value that you add to this equation when you're speaking to them, because if you don't believe in yourself, that will come across in your negotiation, and the letting agency or the, or the landlord, they won't want to work with you because they won't believe uh, what you're talking about. So congruency with, with, with you and what you can offer is a major, major thing when you start out in this. So self-belief, I'd say, is the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. I agree with that, and um, you know, it's it, it when you haven't got one, it's very hard to sort of position yourself. It's the kind of fake it till you make it type of principle, isn't it? Uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, maybe not the most the, the the best term to use, but it is a case of you know demonstrating the benefits, being professional, and and just uh, being as you say confident or having that self belief, and then you'll get that first one. Once you got that first one, the second one gets easier. 
I would say perception is a huge thing, Richard, without a doubt. Um, and I think uh, from that, I would go in with a with a backstory, with a brand. Um, you know, I, I don't mean like a you know you go and spend thousands of pounds on a branding agencies give you a brand. I just mean you can talk about yourself, talk about why what you do and why you do it. Now it could be, for example, uh, you know, I'm just plucking stuff out of the air, air here. You could you could be living in Manchester and you look at properties within I don't know two miles of Manchester Airport. And, and your brand is, you know, you're working on behalf of a client who uh, puts in contractors who work at Manchester Airport, and they've got a demand for two or three properties over the next three months. Anything you can do to help me? And then, you know, it's not just somebody calling up and saying, "You got anything I can rent out?" You know, from you and, and put some other people in. You've actually got that backstory um, and that ability to communicate on a level with the letting agencies or the landlords. So it goes back to good old marketing, really. Very good. <laughs> and always. Uh, always. And as you know, Mark. Well, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so I guess we talked about some of the benefits, some of the upsides, and you know maybe how to get going. I, I can't really leave it without actually saying, and I know you're, you're you're very transparent, Rob, in the way you work. Is one of the reasons I've invited you on. But what about the sort of downsize risks or the gotchas, things to watch out for, if you like, with this type of model? So as with everything, there's there's always there's always a long list. Um, but as long as you're aware of them. Uh, and you know how to combat these things. Nothing, nothing is going to, you know, uh, ruin this model for you. I think we've mentioned one of them already. Actually, that's um, that's the finances. So when when you're looking at finances with service departments, it is a it is a battable um, it is a battable income stream. So therefore, when you reach the bat threshold, which actually you can do very quickly in service accommodation model, you know, if you think you're renting a room out for 100, 200 pounds a night, you know, you get a few units on, and you're hitting the bat threshold. I would say when we when we started, we were probably working on about a twenty percent um, net profit margin in the business, um, and of course, you hit the bat threshold. Suddenly, well. you've got a twenty percent bat, so your margin gets wiped out. So you need to make sure your pricing strategy is right, because otherwise, you're doing doing this work and not making any money. Um, so that's that's one thing to consider. Um, so as an example, one of the one of the things we're we're doing with that is we're going on at the flat ten percent bat rate, because you haven't got that many expenses coming out. Um, definitely, you know, your income exceeds your expenses, and the, the rent that you pay to the landlord, you can't take any that back on. So that's that's one thing. You need to make sure that you're working totally above board with the landlords. So you need to make sure that uh, the properties you're taking on, you have the ability to actually take them on and put short-term tenants in. So if a landlord's got a property with on it with a buy-to-let mortgage, for example, the chances of that mortgage lender being happy with you running it as a short-term short-term let, are, are, I think, pretty much zero. I don't know. Uh, any off the top of my head. So we only work with landlords who have either unencumbered properties or on commercial products where the lender has said they're happy for, for short-term lets, um, i.e. lets less than less than six months. Um, again, insurance, make sure you get the right insurance product on. And these are all things you're going to have to guide the landlord through and are all might be hurdles with him. So, you know, you might suddenly think, I've got to do all these extra things to, to do this. Is it worth it? So just make sure it's worth, worth it for the landlord. So we, we do the whole process. If it's going to cost them any more for things like insurance products, we'll pay the difference. We pay for any, uh, any, you know, I said small bits of maintenance, um, and then really you need to systemize it as much as possible. So, so here is probably the key difference between running, let's say, an HMO model versus the service department model. You'll have people checking in at ten o'clock on a Friday night or a Saturday night. Yeah. You will have uh, people at seven o'clock in the morning on a Sunday phoning you. 
um, with with questions about um, you know, why the TV is not working, for example. And these are all things we've experienced, uh, and therefore put systems in place to combat all of these things. Um, and I, I actually think we've had this discussion off air once before, Richard. That that really with this model, it's impossible to take human totally out of the loop, just because there are um, there are so many variables that can happen with running short term lets and having a high turnover of. Uh, of occupants, so really you probably need to start building your team, be it virtual assistant, personal assistant, physical person sitting in office, you need to start building your team as soon as possible, um, so you're not dragged into the day-to-day -day running of your apartments. Yeah, it is a business, isn't it, at the end of the day, and it, as you, you kind of said right at the beginning of the call, it's almost like a hotel model. And so yeah. um, if you think about a hotel, what do they have? <laughs> uh, they have a reception desk, they have maintenance people, they have cleaners, they have a whole range of different people performing different duties and it's not too dissimilar to that. So you definitely need the systems Absolutely. and the people. Uh, yeah, we did have that conversation about you can't get rid of the human in the loop. It's, uh, mm. It has to be there. There was one, I think, you, you, I don't know if you, if you mentioned and I missed, but um, is there any sort of planning issue that people need to be aware of? Yeah, this is something you'll, I would recommend everybody touches base with their planning department. Um, there will be slight variations council to council. Um, I, I would say still there are some grey areas in yeah. this model with, with planning, uh, for sure. Um, I mean, definitely, look, if you're going to be buying like a big, uh, you know, a big building converting into like eight bespoke service departments with a concierge, without a doubt, that's going to go under, uh, under a different planning use class. Um, also, with uh, there will be uh, you know you'll be able to operate it for a certain amount of nights nights a year on short-term lets before they're going to class it as um, you know sort of hotel B and B. So definitely liaise with your local council. Make sure everything you're doing is above board. Of course, if you're operating without that, um, uh, you know without or against those regulations, and that could put you into hot water as well with council. Good advice. Good advice. Um, I'm going to ask you in a minute if you've got anything particularly that you could maybe share with our listeners but uh, perhaps before that is there are there any particular sort of uh, tools or resources or applications you, I know you love all this sort of stuff uh, anything <laughs> anything particular that you you found very helpful in this space in terms of rent to rent serviced accommodation uh, that potentially you could recommend for our listeners yeah so the, the big thing that we use to find properties we, we pipeline all of our properties, so we have, um, this is a real marketing term, so don't worry too much about the term, we have funnels of property, uh, and we use a database, customer relationship management database to, to, to find property and put them through the various stages of the process and keep, keep up to date with that. So we actually use something called Less Annoying CRM, um, and uh, I'm going to give a link in a little bit to a free training video that we put together of how to, how to use that and start pipelining properties. So that's finding them. When you've actually got them, already talked about the systems, get them systemized as soon as possible. You need a channel management system. Um, now a channel manager is effectively, uh, you'll list your properties on one site and then they will ripple them across all the big booking portals like Airbnb, Booking.com, Expedia, because what you don't want to have to do is somebody, let's say, books on Booking.com and therefore you've then got to go into Airbnb and update your diary there and Expedia and update your diary there. So I know one of the big channel managers that people use is, is Kygo. We've actually not gone down that route. We've gone down a, a slightly different route because I wanted to get the automation in even even more early. So, so we use a, a combined system called uh, Breezy. That's V-R-E-Z, which is actually a, a property management system rather than a channel manager. But it puts a lot of automation in the process. So if somebody books, they'll then get a series of emails that get sent to them. 
they'll get emails sent to them when they're in the property saying when you check out you need to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, it will automatically allocate cleaners for the for the check-ins and check-outs, all that sort of cool stuff, uh, which which I get a bit geeky and involved with in the in systemizing a business, but I like it and that. That links through a channel manager called mybookingpal.com uh, and then mybookingpal ripples it across all of those big portals I talked about. So you definitely need something like that. And then the last thing which you'll need is a merchant account to actually take payments. Um, so we use Stripe, stripe.com, very easy to set up. Uh, you'll be able to set it up in 30 seconds or so and then you can just log in, have a dashboard and take um, either take payments over the phone or you can send them a link and they can they can pre uh, they they can click on the link and pay for it as well. So those are three big things: less annoying CRM, breezy in combination with my booking power, and Stripe. Brilliant! I wasn't expecting so many. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> you, you, you do, much, yeah. right there. You did mention obviously Airbnb, Booking.com. You've got all sorts of things, haven't you? Now you've got uh, TripAdvisor, um, HolidayRentals.com. I'm sure there's a whole there's range. Exactly. There's, there's we, we, I mean, we were just. This is just a little, you know, little anecdote on the side. We, we were going through the channel manager, um, kind of see what there was, and we obviously work in Chester. One of the one of the portals that the channel manager links to is Cheshire Cheshire West um, Tourist Board, and you think, you know, how could that be any more any more perfect? It actually puts your properties up on the on the tourist board, which then links to all the all the attractions, you know, in, in Cheshire, Roman walls and you know, Diva experience and all this sort of sort of stuff. Um, so there's lots of cool ways or, or lots of cool resources you can hook up to. And of course, you don't have to use the booking portals. You know, they're not cheap. One of the big expenses you're going to have is, is the booking fees. Um, you can market them yourself, Facebook, Google. Um, but of course, we're back to marketing again. Uh, and it's a business, so you're going to need to do some marketing of it at some point. Excellent, excellent. So you did touch on just uh, just now maybe something that uh, you, you could offer our listeners. Uh, I'm going to probably... Uh, you know, picky pocket a bit there. What have you got in mind that maybe you could share, um, especially especially for our listeners on the Property Voice podcast, Rob? So we've got a series of training videos. Uh, we call them our, our, our maps or our management automation procedures. Um, it's kind of all the things that we do in our business. We put computer um, training videos together to help people. Now, what we're doing is we're making one available for for listeners of the Property Voice um, for for free uh, to get. To it is a, is a bit.ly link, it's bit.ly forward slash, and then this is all in uppercase, pegmap, P-E-G-M-A-P-1. Um, and what this does is about 10-15 minutes, it tells you how to set up your, your CRM system on less annoying CRM, how to identify, look for properties, put them in the system, set up, start to set up your funnels, it's got a basic funnel in there that you can use to start, start from scratch and start finding the properties. And of course, you can actually repurpose this and use it for any strategy. So uh, it'll work for your service departments, for your HMOs, finding commercial developments, whatever you want to do, it'll work for that. Um, so it's a really good resource and it's something something I actually get my virtual assistants to do now. They they do all the data scraping and, and put everything on the on the database for me. Um, and then uh, it's easy, you can just drop into the database, see what they found and uh, decide if you want to take it any further. So that's bit.ly forward slash all uppercase peg map P-E-G-M-A-P-1. Fantastic. Well, I'll put the link in the show notes, uh, obviously, so people don't have to scroll that down. They can just visit the show notes and find that link. But uh, I think more generally as well, Rob, how, how could people find you? Um, where, where should we point them to? And whether that's specifically to one of your different business interests or to service accommodation, um, where should they go? So probably the best way best way to find me is uh, at the Property Education Group 
um, website, which is uh, www.thepropertyeducationgroup.com. Um, we, we have quite a lot of resources on that site, some free resources uh, and kind of next steps as well. Now, as, as I alluded to earlier, um, we have quite a few strategies going on and different business interests as well, but we really focus, and that's myself and my business partner, John Paul, um, who some listeners might know, he, uh, he runs Castleding Group in the northeast of the country. Uh, we're all about helping investors systemize their businesses, really creating a sustainable, scalable business model in property. So if you go over to that website and um, see what's there, and uh, it'd be great to see you at one of our events in the future. Yep, and I can highly recommend it. I've been on one of your events, the Systemizing Summit, I think it was called, or something like that. Systems Summit, wasn't it? Um, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you'd know the name better than me. But yeah, I've been on that. It was very worthwhile. And the whole idea of 80-20 thinking has certainly stuck with me. And um, I think if, if you're still um, sharing that. But I think I think on that vein, actually, maybe I'd be a bit cheeky, to be honest with you, Rob. Um, the, your systems, 80-20 thinking, property technology, this sort of thing is definitely sort of where I got to know about you. And I know you, you're more than that. But um, would you be uh, would you be interested in maybe coming on another time and, and talking more generally about systemizing and leverage and that kind of thing? I couldn't think of anything better than spend another thirty minutes talking about systems and leverage, Richard. So that'd be that'd be an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Well, maybe we should both get out more. <laughs> but, uh, no, that that sounds fantastic. Now, brilliant, absolutely brilliant, Rob. Thanks so much for sharing that. That's you know scratch the surface a bit, but hopefully it's given a lot of our listeners some insights into this new strategy, this new model, and in particular in the in the context of creative financing, how maybe you can get involved in a property strategy, a high cash flowing property strategy with uh, minimal or fairly low levels of, uh, of capital. So that's been invaluable. Really appreciate your time and, uh, and, and experience and knowledge here, Rob. It's been great. Pleasure. Thank you. No problem at all. Well, you take care and I'll catch up with you soon. So I hope that was interesting to hear how the principle of a low cash investment strategy, such as rent to rent, can be applied along with a property marketing strategy like serviced accommodation for maximum leverage. This combination of a legal structure in the form of subletting or subleasing along with an alternative route to market through holiday rentals or short-term lets can be used to generate high income from a very low capital base. And this is very much like a hotel model though, so as such it requires some different skills, management and regulatory requirements when compared to other more mainstream property strategies. I often talk about the trade-off between time, money and know-how. In this case, the level of money to get into a deal can be low, but the level of time and know-how required is a lot higher. However, the time factor can be reduced, as Rob said, by systemizing, delegating, or outsourcing some of the workload. Rob's pretty good at that uh, systemization side of things, actually, so do make sure you go and have a look at some of the tools and apps that he mentioned in our discussion and, and his website as well. As for the know-how side, this is a specialist area of property investing, and this means it's subject to different rules and regulations to other aspects of property. For example, in London, it's illegal to let out a property as a short-term rental for more than 90 days in a calendar year, or in a year, without having planning permission. 
Some people have been flirting the rules and, and they may have actually got away with it as well. But things are now starting to tighten up, as shown in fact by Airbnb's recent policy change to ban people who are in breach of these planning rules. Insurance and lender approval are also and lender approval rather are also areas that uh, we need to get familiar with so do make sure that you do your research thoroughly before plowing ahead with this type of strategy that's all said as Rob also mentioned and highlighted service departments and similar variations can offer uh, a real productive win-win-win between property owner guest and investor and often with a very low starting fund as well Okay, so that's the discussion part of things over. I just wanted to conclude with a couple of th final things from me today before I finish. Uh, the first is that many of you have contacted me to say that uh, you would have liked to have joined us at our 360-degree property business workshop that we held in London in November. Well, the good news is that we're planning to run another one early in Q1 of 2017, in fact, probably a bit further north, uh, north of England. So watch out for more details of that through our various channels. But as numbers will be limited, you can also get on the wait list uh, to get an early bird invitation to join the event before most other people get to know about it. All you need to do for that is just email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, with 360 degree workshop in the title, almost that effect, and I'll know what you're talking about. Finally, a big shout out to my dad. He's not very well at the moment, actually, and unfortunately he's in hospital. And I've traveled to see him and, uh, and be, with, be with him or be near to him at a tough time. I mentioned this for a couple of reasons, really. One is that I'm hoping to get some collective positive energy going his way. His name is Bill Brown, so if you could spare a thought for him right now, I'd be very grateful. And I'm sure he would be as well. The second, really, is just to highlight that my, my content might be a little bit more infrequent or, as, as one rather unkind person highlighted, a little bit a little more error-strewn than usual. Well, I don't claim to be perfect, but I do claim to deliver valuable property content. So if you can live with the odd typo or grammatical error, uh, that's fine, but otherwise you're happy with the value I share freely on the topic, then feel free to stick around. If not, well, hasta la vista, baby, I suppose. <laughs> but as always, email me personally if you want to talk about anything from today's show, or more generally in property investing, in fact. The show notes will be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. But right now, though, I just want to say thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.